0: Welcome to the Runner's World Show. I'm David Willey, Editor-in-Chief. This week, we've got an interview with plant-powered ultramarathoner Scott Jurek. And as you might know, Wednesday, June 1st, was National Running Day. And in honor of that, we're going to share some really cool running stories that we recorded in our mobile recording studio at the Boston Marathon in April. But first, we head to a local animal shelter to learn a few things about running with our best friends. Thanks for joining us.
1: The road can be rough, and tides can turn, but
0: if you are. The halls of Runners World HQ are full of dog lovers. We either have dogs, or we have had dogs, or we want dogs. So we've long admired the Providence Animal Center in Media, Pennsylvania, which has an innovative program that pairs runners with high energy shelter dogs that desperately need exercise, discipline, and routine. Christine Fennessy headed down there last week to learn more about how this running buddy system is so great for these canines and for people, too. She also got some key tips for how to run safely and comfortably with your own best friend, especially in the heat of summer.
2: We had a volunteer here, and she was an avid runner, and she started taking dogs out for runs. And what she was noticing was that the dogs that she was taking were having um, really great benefits from the running so we decided that we would push further and see what we could do with it so then in 2013 we officially launched the dog trotter program
1: that's jamie naborik director of volunteer programs and creative design at the providence animal center in media pennsylvania since the program started three years ago more than 100 runners have become dog trotters they must complete two training sessions in a dog handling course and after that They can come by any time during regular hours to take the dogs out for a run.
2: Most of the time, it's our hardest population that they're working with they're high energy or stressed out so these dogs really need the exercise it's actually really great because with dogs that are you know harder to walk when you get them running that's the pace that they want to be going in so you know when when people are walking them they're pulling and, and jumping and then once you have a runner with them that all goes away and they're ready to go
1: adria eichner toolin is the dog trotter coordinator at the center She's one of three instructors who helped train the incoming runners. She's been running with dogs for years and she is a serious dog lover.
3: So I actually have three dogs. Um, I have a Pitbull Bull Terrier, not my runner. I have a Pitbull Labrador, also not my runner. And I have a Boxer Mix and she's my running dog. And yes, I actually adopted her from this shelter with the goal that I wanted a running dog. I've been running with dogs probably for about 10 years. Um, but they were always other people's dogs that just kind of said, hey, my dog has a lot of energy, do you want to run with it?
1: I follow Adria to the kennel to take our first dog of the night out for a run. There's classical music playing in the background, and I'm surprised by how peaceful it is. It was close to 7, which is both when the shelter closes and the animal's bedtime.
3: All right, let's go get Ace.
1: We find Ace, a one-year-old Dalmatian mix, passed out in his kennel next to his bed. He came here as part of a transfer from a shelter in North Carolina, and he's been at the center for a little over two months. He is a favorite of the dog trotters. He is also deaf, which is why it takes him a few seconds to realize that we are standing outside of
3: his kennel, and when he does, he goes bananas. He has a lot of energy. Um, He also uses uh, this metal chain up
1: here. Adria clips a metal leash onto Ace's collar, Metal, because Ace sometimes likes to bite chains. He thinks they're toys. Metal is a lot less mouth-friendly, so with it, Ace can focus less on his leash and more on his run. Then we head out to a large grassy area in front of the shelter.
4: Good boy, buddy! All right.
3: So it's important that we kind of let them get out. We let them get a little bit of their initial energy out because the dogs are full of energy they just came out of the kennel so the last thing you want to do is try and get them to focus on running right away so it's nice to be able to have this area here to walk them around you also, if you don't know the dog, get a good feel for what kind of energy and what kind of strength the dog has. And we can do it here on shelter property rather than kind of testing that out, out on the road. Um, if the if it's really hot out and the dog's already starting to pant here and looks a little uncomfortable, you know this might not work out. You may need to get another dog out. Um, I would definitely say walk your dog at least for five minutes. Um, what I also like to say is if you're really not familiar with the dog, only to run maybe for two or three minutes and then go back down to a walk see how they do with that and then go back into a run and do a little bit more of an interval training so that you can really watch the dog and make sure that the dog is comfortable um, and that you're not pushing the dog too hard and that everything with them is looking healthy.
1: After doing his duty, walking around the yard and giving it a few good sniffs, Ace is wondering what the human holdup is.
3: So right now, Ace is completely ready for his run. Um, He's getting annoyed because I'm holding him up. He was trying to be a gentleman for a little while and sitting down, but he knows um, this is go time, that when he's out here, he's focused and he is ready to start trotting.
1: We head down the driveway and hang a left up a steep hill in a wooded residential neighborhood. Ace is running just to the right in front of Adria. He's not distracted, not darting left and right. He's like a lot of runners I know at the beginning of their workout. All business.
3: So when I'm planning for distance, one of the first things that I do is I actually look in the dog trotter log. And I see how long he's been taken out previously. If he's been at a maximum of two miles, I'm probably not going to go much past two miles. I may try another like 0.25 further, just to test him to see, but I'm not going to go all the way to five miles. I'm also going to watch his behavior. So the whole time they should really be in front of us, leading us. The minute that they start falling back behind us, we know they're probably getting tired and or hot, and that it's time to turn around. So Ace is fully leading us, um, Ace just spotted a squirrel. So he got a little extra pep in his step. But yeah, he's giving me a, a nice pull, nothing that's too crazy. Um, he's not, you know, yanking my arm off, but he's certainly not falling behind us at all. Now, what about speed? Like, obviously,
1: you know, there's a max that you can go, and it's probably not the dog's max. How do you modulate your pace?
3: So, to me, I make the dog keep my pace. Um, that's part of the training for the trotters. It's an extension of leash training, really. So it's beneficial for them to keep my speed because it trains them that I'm in control and that I'm setting the pace for them. Uh, But if you have a real quick pace, um, that may be a bit much to try with your dog. You may actually have to slow your pace down. What I like to tell people about running with a dog is it really no longer is just your run. It is also the dog's run. So you want to make sure the dog's comfortable. You want to make sure the dog's enjoying him or herself. And you want to make sure that you're both being safe. So um, running with dogs in the heat does get a little bit more complicated. Um, Just like people, you have to be really careful that they don't overheat. So you have to start watching a lot of the signs. Um, So like I mentioned, um, one thing to watch is where is Ace in comparison to us? Right now Ace is still next to us. You can see he is starting to not really lead us as much though. So this probably means he's starting to get a little bit warm. Um, You also want to make sure that their panting is staying at a pretty even level. They're not starting to really heavily pant or heavily salivate. Um, That can definitely show that they're starting to get a little bit too hot. A huge indicator if they go over to the grass and try and start laying down, that definitely means they're getting too hot. If you're running anything longer than a mile, you should probably bring water for your dog, and that can be in a portable water bowl, and then some kind of bottled water, or if you have a local water fountain that you can use.
1: After about a mile or so, we take Ace back to his kennel. He doesn't even bother with his water bowl. He just flops down on the cool concrete floor.
3: I mean, so right now, Ace is like completely sprawled out on the ground, Um, He is loving life, he's smiling at all of us, Um, he's just extremely calm, he's not jumping around and he's ready to be tucked in for tonight, Um, he's letting everybody touch his paws and his tail's wagging, he's a very happy dog right now. I give Ace a goodnight pat
1: and I thank him for the run. I know he can't hear me, but he's so sweet and his face is so grateful that I just can't help myself. Then we head down another hallway. Adria brings out one more dog. He's a light brown pit bull terrier mix with four white legs and a square head sporting what looks to be a massive grin. He is so cute.
3: What do you think, Dylan? <laughs> so this is Dylan. Dylan. Um, Dylan is another one of our dog trotter dogs. He's also another dog trotter favorite. There's a lot of selfies taken of Dylan, a lot of videos posted of Dylan. He's a real sweetheart, as you can see. He's got a lot of energy. He's uh, pretty young, um, so he can certainly benefit from um, a lot of runs, lots of walks. uh, any, Any kind of activity that he can get is very beneficial to getting him into a forever home.
1: He's, he's not even gone for his run yet, and he's just leaning against my leg, yeah. like, not moving anywhere. He's And I'm stroking his belly like he's in heaven right now,
3: I think. Mm, he's a sweet guy. Okay, now he's done. <laughs> All right, now he's ready. So let's go into the front pad, and we'll get his equipment on. So I'm actually putting on an easy walk harness. So this is one of the harnesses that latches from the front,
1: Dylan's easy walk harness wraps around his chest rather than his neck so when he pulls, he doesn't gag himself. When it comes to running with your dog or a shelter dog, it's a good idea to try several different types of leashes just to see which one works best. After another quick warm-up, we head back out to the same road, and Adria explains her handling techniques.
3: I like to hold the leash really not too far. Um off the dog so that if they do react I can react just as quickly. So my tips for running with your dog and dealing with other dogs on the run are that you should always keep at least a street distance between your dog and the other dog. You never know how the other dog's going to react so even if your dog is dog friendly you don't know if the other dog is. You can see I'm trying to keep him pretty much at the same distance in front of me really staying on my right hand side as much as possible to train him to really be a nice gentle walker because if I can get him to do this running, there's much likely a better chance that he'll be able to do it walking. So every time that he's kind of coming actually a little too far to you, just like that, I'm pulling him to the side, giving him a nice kind of, not hard, but a nice correction across. Same thing when he starts going in front of me, I immediately start moving him to the other side. So it's not waiting until he's directly in front of me or crossed all the way to the side. It's that immediate reaction and making sure it's a gentle correction. Let's just get past this dog.
1: As we're talking, we pass a small white dog playing on the grass with its owner. It takes one look at Dylan, and it loses its mind. So he just behaved very well. He did actually behave
3: very, very well. He
1: he just ran right by that dog. Yeah, he's really not
3: dog-aggressive. Um, he's barely even dog reactive. Um, you know, it, it's just, again, he's also nice and focused. So what I'll do now to reward him is, Good Dylan! Good boy! go boy! Yeah, good boy! So you see the ears go up. He got rewarded for the good behavior. Well, looks like he's having a blast. He is having a blast. Um, he's not reacting to the other dogs, the other cats, the birds, anything going on. So he's really in his own little zone right now. Who is
1: that? After about two miles, we head back to the kennel with Dylan. Adria thinks that, with more training, he could easily run five miles, no problem. Right now, he looks like he's had the run of his little life. I swear the guy is smiling. Back in the office, Jamie explains why the Dog Trotters program is so important for dogs like Ace and Dylan.
2: What you have to understand is that we don't know a lot about the animals that we're coming into contact to. And their backgrounds come from all different places. We don't know their their energy level or their threshold for being in a kennel situation. So what you can see is you'll see some stress-induced problems. Like they could have diarrhea or have rashes or, um, you know, do circles in their kennels. And when you see them become dog-trotter dogs, those things start to go away, like the excessive licking or the bothered stomach. Um, those are all stress-related problems. So as soon as they start running, they, that that is actually changing, which is a really big deal because we want to make sure that while they're here, it's as comfortable as possible, and that's what they're doing for them. It's a great fit for our, our organization.
1: And as both Adria and Jamie have seen and experienced themselves – The program also has a big effect on the human runners. Knowing the dogs rely on them gives them a sense of accountability. It keeps them motivated to run regularly, and it is immensely gratifying. To see a furry face behind a cage just begging you to take him for a run, and to be able to do just that, it really kicks to the curb all of our
3: I-can't-run-today excuses. I mean, I can say for myself, there are plenty of times I come here and I'm like, uh, two miles seems like a lot today. But then I get out there and I'm like, you know what? I, this dog's still going. If this dog is still going, like, I can keep going.
0: To see photos of Ace and Dylan and to learn more about the Dog Trotters program at the Providence Animal Center, as well as their Bark in the Park 5K, go to runnersworld.com audio. Scott Jurek is one of the world's most dominant ultra-marathoners. He's won some of the toughest and most competitive ultras multiple times, including the Western States 100-mile Endurance Run, the Hard Rock 100, Badwater, which is a 135-mile race through Death Valley, and the Spartathlon, a 155-mile race from Athens to Sparta in Greece. Last summer, he ran the Appalachian Trail in 46 days, 8 hours, and 7 minutes. If that sounds oddly precise, there's a reason. This set a new Appalachian Trail through hike record. Scott ran from Springer Mountain, Georgia to the summit of Mount Katahdin in Maine. He finished on July 12th at 2.03 p.m. after running 2,189 miles across 14 states and 515,000 feet of elevation change. He averaged 47.2 miles per day and beat the previous record, which had been set by Jennifer Far Davis in 2011, by just three hours and 13 minutes. Perhaps not surprisingly, Scott called this effort, quote, the hardest thing I've ever done. Scott is also well known for his nutrition philosophy. In 2012, he wrote a memoir called Eat and Run, My Unlikely Journey to Ultramarathon Greatness. Scott was a vegan before being vegan was cool, and in the book, he describes how becoming vegan transformed his life. Recently, nutrition editor Heather Mayer Irvin Talked with Scott about his diet, about his epic Appalachian Trail run, and about what he and his wife Jenny are looking forward to next.
4: So, for some regular folks, you know, who are looking to eat more plants, whether or not they want to go full plant based, what, what are some tips for them? How can they, you know, start to be like Scott Jurek?
5: Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing is don't be afraid. Because for me, I I learned how to be plant-based and vegan in Duluth, Minnesota, (laughs) which in Northern Minnesota, um, I grew up hunting and fishing and eating a meat and potatoes diet. So, um, I don't think it has to be expensive nor time consuming. There is kind of a learning curve. So initially I tell people don't be frustrated with like, there's so much to learn and how am I going to cook for myself? Because if I can do it in Northern Minnesota, um, and the beauty is when you live in Northern Minnesota and you don't have all these great vegan restaurants and all these great foods around you, you learn how to cook. And I think that's a benefit because I'm a big believer if we can just at least get people making more real food at home and eating more whole foods. And if they transition towards a plant-based diet, great. But just getting in the kitchen, I think is almost one of those biggest tips ever. And there's so many great options now for plant-based eaters, whether you want to make your own substitutes. And by substitutes, you know, I've, I've made amazing burgers that even my meat-loving like friends are, like, um, surprised that this doesn't have meat in it. And so there are ways of mimicking, like, I guess that emotional connection to food, whether it's a real hearty taste or whether it's a real rich taste or whether it's a, like, cheesy kind of flavor. So um, cheese was one of those things initially for me that was really hard to you know, step away from and, and avoid. And back one you know, back in 1999, which was not that long ago, but long enough where there weren't a lot of options for other products, but where there's a lot of great non-dairy cheese and, and milk substitutes. And then there's things that you can make on your own. And that's, that's what I love about um, eating plant-based is you can always try new things. You can experiment.
4: What's your favorite meal or snack, indulgence?
5: Ooh, that's a tough one. I, my favorite, just cause I've really, been intrigued with, uh, ethnic cuisine. And as somebody who came from Northern Minnesota, I grew up eating, you know, where black pepper was a spice and I had Scandinavian, uh, grandparents and a Polish grandmother, and there wasn't a lot of like spicy food. So I love spicy food. Thai food is really, if I were to say like one of my top, you know, f- favorite foods, it'd have to be tomka. It's basically a coconut soup with lemongrass and galangal. And, uh, it has this just amazing, uh, blend of Flavors and then just that real heartiness from the coconut milk, and th- I think there's something to be said about like that balance of sweet, spicy, and just a richness in flavors. And you can really find that you don't have to have meat per se, whether it's mushrooms or or getting that kind of umami flavor in a lot of foods.
4: You cover a lot of ground. You're fueled by plants. You've run 24 hour races. You did the Appalachian Trail last year in 46 days. What do you think about when you run?
5: I always have said this, that I try not to think, because for me, like when I am, and I'm just like everybody else, whether you're preparing for your first 5K or 10K or you're a new runner, I have the same thoughts as everybody else. You know, it's hot out. I'm hot, you know, my legs hurt. Um, Why am I doing this? I mean, those thoughts constantly surface, and it's okay to have those thoughts, because you know after even all these years and all these things I've done, I still have those thoughts. And so thinking is, for me at least, what I try to do is focus the thinking on the things such as, you know, maybe it's strategy, maybe it's nutrition, hydration, thinking about how I need to take care of my body. But what I try to avoid is the the, the thoughts that pop up that can actually prevent me putting one foot in front of the other and continuing uh, to do what I'm trying to do.
4: Do you have a moment that comes to mind that you know, you had a negative thought. Where were you? How'd you get through it? How'd you keep going?
5: Oh, there were definitely were (laughs) plenty. And most recently on the Appalachian Trail, I would say that, I mean, every day I had situations where, you know, whether I had something wrong, I'll give you an example. Um, A week into the whole you know, journey. If you can imagine, you know, I've barely covered you know just over three hundred some miles. I have a torn quadricep on one side, and then I have a patellofemoral injury, basically a kneecap tracking issue going on. Two bad legs, and thinking to myself, "Gosh, I'm only a week in." I, initially, I'm going to have those emotions of like, "I can't do this. It's done. I'm finished. There's no way. Um, you know, why am I here? This is stupid." <laughs> um, all those things come up. At, what I initially did was just try to, you know, have those emotions, but then try to start figuring out, okay, what is really my current situation? How can I, you know, at least minimize the stress to the kneecap, minimize the stress to the quad, um, figure out what I can do to at least, you know, keep my body moving forward. And then at the end of all that, try to think positive. And that can be a hard thing, especially when you're mid-race, when you're Um, mid-training. For me, I try to Not play tricks with my brain but just try to figure out a way of like putting a positive spin on things and that that can be really beneficial
4: you've got some stuff going on at home is that right
5: yeah Jenny and I are expecting, which is super excited. We've been on a long journey um, trying to have children and have had a few setbacks along the way, miscarriages. And um, yeah, it's been one of these. It's almost been a marathon in and of itself. And so we're really excited. And she's due uh, at the beginning of June. So
4: it's great. And babies due right around National Running Day. (laughs)
5: <laughs> we did we joke about that cuz it's really um national running day and national trails day are literally within a day or two apart and actually i think it's like yeah do like the day after national running day so it's kind of funny we didn't plan that
4: <laughs> what are you most excited about becoming a dad
5: i'm i'm probably most excited just to be able to like learn more i think cuz i know a lot of times I've spent time with kids and I've, I've coached and I've, you know, been involved, um, in the sport of running with, with kids. And like even this summer on the Appalachian trail, a lot of kids would come out and want to run and hike with me for sections with their parents and they'd come out Um, I'm really looking forward to learning from, you know, my own child and, you know, it'll be fun teaching them things, uh, not only about running and about being in the outdoors and, you know, following their passions and uh, exploring, but also just kind of learning from them.
4: Will uh, Little Jerk follow a plant-based
5: diet? I think that's the, the thing where I I really struggle sometimes as an expecting parent. For me, it's really about um, showing children how to eat properly or how to eat well. And when you know they're eating at home, <laughs> hopefully they'll be um, eating plant-based. I mean, I can't control like if they're sneaking in <laughs> other foods. Like, I don't want to ever be that kind of parent where you know, they feel like they're being controlled, I guess, is really just to inspire them to like trial these tastes. Because as a kid, I hated vegetables and I was one of those kids who's like basically potatoes and corn and carrots, raw carrots, never cooked. And that was the extent of it. Like I know I had to force myself to eat peas and green beans and um, that I definitely want it to just be like food being fun and not being you know, I guess restrictive, but at the same time showing that, yeah, plant-based eating can be fun. We'll see (laughs) where that goes.
4: So you've done a lot of work with organizations and you're doing some work with Every Mother Counts?
5: Yes. So maternal health is something that obviously Jenny and I are going through several miscarriages and uh, having difficulty having children. And in the process of trying to have our own child. I got connected with Christy Turlington at Chicago marathon a couple of years ago, and she started this organization called every mother counts. And it's, focus is to work on maternal health issues around the developing world. And I had the opportunity to travel with her and a group of marathoners and half marathoners. And we ran the Kilimanjaro marathon and half marathon together while we also visited uh, some of the hospitals and clinics that they're working at it, basically trying to, to help the the small things of maternal health. A lot of mothers around the world, this is what's blows my mind away. Um, we, we are so fortunate here in the U.S. to have medical care close by, but for a lot of expecting mothers, for them to just travel to a clinic that might have a flashlight or a headlamp, um, possibly um, a Doppler to measure heart rate, um, those things are sometimes 10 miles away, sometimes you know more, and they're walking by foot. To get to those clinics so it's touched jenny and i and just working on uh, bringing that awareness and the cool thing is there's this real connection of distance with runners and um, how we can you know help others around the world with something as simple as providing you know transportation to a health clinic
0: By the way, when we recorded this episode, Scott and Jenny's baby had not arrived yet. We wished them well, and as a father of three, whatever it was you learned during that hardest thing you ever did on the Appalachian Trail, it's going to come in handy. We're going to end this week's show a bit differently. Back in April, we brought a mobile recording booth with us up to the Boston Marathon Expo. And for three days, we recorded runners sharing stories about the amazing things they've seen while running, about who inspires them to run, about their most embarrassing running moments, and really anything else they felt like sharing. There were plenty of laughs, and yes, there were some tears too. And we were constantly reminded just how powerful and transformative running can be. We'll be back with the kick next week, but in honor of National Running Day on June 1st, we're going to close this episode with a few of these stories.
6: I'm Cheryl Cook from Clayton, Georgia. Um, At 55, I knew I was unhealthy and needed to regain control of my life. I'm a retired teacher and track coach and although i asked kids to give their best every day i knew i wasn't giving mine so i began running with my husband and my son long time dream of mine was to run boston and the day that i received notification from a good friend of mine megan williams a boston bombing survivor uh, that she would like me to escort her across the finish line i received a baa invitation and um The next day I received a diagnosis of cancer. I had a a four-and-a-half by four-and-a-half square taken off my lumbar spine, and I was told I couldn't run Boston. Well, I had enough determination, respect for Megan, for inviting me to escort her through the marathon, the finish line for Boston. I had my three surgeries and went back to running three days later against medical advice. I'm determined to show that people, when they retire can
7: maintain a healthy life and help other people achieve their dreams. So my name is uh, Gustavo Bracho. I'm originally from Venezuela, but uh, now I've been living in Canada for 10 years, and I'm, I became Canadian. Uh, when, uh, so I'm going to talk about um, what inspired me to run. So uh, my second kid was born in 2010, and um, during that year, I guess I was getting pretty lazy, and um, I wasn't doing anything, and so when I did my checkup for uh, a medical checkup, I found that I had high cholesterol, and I was really surprised because I, even though I wasn't very active, I still kept the, my eating habit—I mean, normally good—but uh, it, it was there; it was very high. So I decided to run with a few friends, and um, I couldn't keep up with them. And I was like, "What? These guys are overweight, and I'm not. Like, why well, can't I keep up with them?" So. Uh, I started to run with uh, with them, and then I learned how to uh, train myself. And I said, well, I'm going to run a half marathon. And the first time I ran a half marathon was like two hours and a half. And I was like, well, this is too long if I want to do a full, a, a full marathon. And so I, I kept on training, and then I got into my head that I needed to qualify for Boston. It took me three or four years, but I finally did it. So, I mean, obviously, the my biggest inspir- inspiration now is um, dedicating my... My, my races to my kids and my wife. So they always come with me. I really like to uh, meet another at the finish line uh, as much as, I, as well we can, but uh, that's what we try to do.
1: Hi, I'm Mindy Prazier. As far as who inspires me, so I teach elementary PE and I coach an after-school running program. And with all of the lessons I've learned through running, I try to teach the kids a little bit so that they enjoy all of their experiences and want to keep doing it. And working with the kids Keeps it fun and entertaining, and they totally inspire me to keep going because they have that natural, pure love for running and being active. And so, the days when it feels like work, then I go out and run with them, and I go, "Nope, this is fun, and this is
3: where I should be."
8: My name is Kevin, and I believe the question was, uh, "What inspires me to run?" Uh, well, I run because uh, because I think I'm a little crazy. Uh, about four years ago, I uh, I got sober. You know, my life, was, uh, my life was in ruins, and um, when I stopped drinking and, you know, ingesting other, you know, things in my body, um, I discovered running. And I discovered running to be extremely therapeutic and, and extremely spiritual. Um, I get my endorphins, you know, f- through running, and, you know, my, the depression and anxieties I had, although, you know, are still there, are, uh, have been mitigated drastically. So uh, now I'm addicted to running because that's what we do. We morph into other things, but uh, I love it. It's a way of life for me. You know, by mile too, I'm feeling it. You know, I'm getting that runner's high, and then uh, you know when I'm done, depending on how long I've run, I mean it can last me for a couple of days. But I am human, and I do have you know we all have minor ups and downs, um, and it's really helped to level me out. It's been uh, it's been great. I was in a relationship with an elite runner. Years ago when I was living in Boston and I sabotaged the relationship and um, I think I started to run because I, you know, I just wanted to be more like her or I wanted to, I wanted to be the, the partner I could have been with her if I was clean at the time. Even though I knew that that relationship was never going to you know, come to pass again, I wanted to get myself to a point where I think I might have been able to maintain that relationship now, even though I'm not there. So uh, I started chasing that, and you know, I I lost touch with that girl a long time ago. It was nothing, you know, bad. I just wasn't available as a human, as a partner. But um, you know, now that I'm I'm at a point where I'm healthy, and I you know, I got my pace down, and you know, I eat healthy. You know, I'd like to maintain it, so I, I keep doing it. But I think if 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 we spoke, she'd probably be happy to know that I run. I'd like to see if I could I couldn't you know beat her in like a you know. A, like a, like a 10k or something you know I think I, could, I think I could jump close yeah it's cool right it's awesome
5: don't have to worry
4: about nothing else so I
0: we recorded dozens of these kinds of stories up in our Boston recording booth and we're going to keep sharing them in coming episodes so if you talk to us up there thank you again for sharing your story and keep an ear out And that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And thanks to all of you who've left ratings and reviews for us on iTunes. We really appreciate it. Please keep them coming. The show was produced by Sylvia Ryerson and Christine Fennessy. Normally, we also give credit to Brian Dalek, but he was away getting married over the weekend. Congrats, Brian. We also had editing help this week from Megan Flood and recording assistance from Keith Plunkett. The music you're hearing now and you heard at the top of the show is by Thunderhoof. We hope you'll join us next week. We will be taking you to the Pentagon, where a couple of our staffers put their decidedly civilian fitness regimes to the test. And don't forget to check out our second podcast, Human Race. Next week, we have a new episode about the world's longest urinal. I actually had the dubious honor of using the world's longest urinal at the New York City Marathon. God knows I wasn't alone. But I had no idea there was such a moving story behind it. We're going to tell you that story, so check it out.